Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan May Coops. I'm your host, and today I'm excited to bring you a special guest, James Rousseau, who is a uh, military fiction writer. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I recently uh, discovered you somewhat myself. I'm not typically a, a military fiction reader, but uh, I found one of your posts in the 20 Books to 50K Facebook group and saw that this uh, phenomenal success you've been having uh, with your series. For people who aren't familiar with you, could you tell people a little bit about uh, what you write? We've got, of course, Battlefield Ukraine covers up on the screen for people to look at. Maybe you can tell people a little bit about what that's, at, what that's about and what they can expect if they pick up one of your books. Sure. So I write military fiction books. I like to write, uh, you know, big battle stuff. So when you read, uh, read Tom Clancy's Red Storm Rising, how he had that massive campaign between NATO and the Soviet Union forces, um, there really hasn't been a lot of authors who write that style or that type of book in the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. So that's the style and type of book I write. And I like to write it from a couple of different dimensional levels. So one, you have the presidential level, decision-maker level. Why did we get in the war and how is it going to be fought? Mm-hmm. And you have the, the the generals and the colonels who are saying, okay, we've been given the task, now let's figure out how do we actually execute it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the grunts and the soldiers who actually have to go fight it. And right. so I like being able to show those multiple levels of decision and the characters and the stressors and the realities of being in those different situations. Mm-hmm. I think having served three and a half years in Iraq during the war, gives me a unique perspective on describing combat, describing war, because you know, I've, been in a, I've been in a vehicle when it's, you hear the bullet pinging off the armor, or you know, flying in a helicopter and you start taking gunfire and you're taking evasive maneuvers, um, you know, or, or sat through you know, half-hour rocket attacks, and mm-hmm. mortar, things like that. So I can relay those kinds of really... Uh, good personal feelings and, and details into my writing and into my books, and I think that's what's made them so good. Yeah, and, and we've covered very relevant topics of where we think it is because everyone likes to write about Middle East terrors and Middle East wars, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just want to write about something other than that, mm. and I think a lot of people really appreciate that and they really like that. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you have a level of authenticity that it's it's hard to get from you know if you don't have the personal experience so you've got you've got that going for you and of course um like i said you've you've also delved into some sort of speculative i know you have a world war three series which mm-hmm. obviously gives you some you know interesting speculative fiction kind of um yep. you know futurism stuff maybe like where where things could go worst case scenario type things um mm-hmm. so i think that's that's really interesting for people to dwell on and, and it's obviously very relevant um because we're always, you know, concerned about you know, global affairs. And I, I, did, I, I was a big Tom Clancy fan when I was younger. I definitely do like that multi-level look at the yeah. circumstances, too. Yeah, I, what I really like showcasing in all of our military books is the, the, tech, the military technology and the evolution of, of technology on the battlefield. So we're very heavy into uh, integrating social media um, into how the social media aspect is another arm of warfare. How you use cyber attacks to do denial of service on, say, GPS satellites mm-hmm. and disable GPS capabilities. Well, that has a, a huge impact on the military if you disable the GPS satellite networks. Yeah. Um, yeah so there's different things like that, uh, whether it's drones, drone warfare, integrating you know, sw- drone swarms to attack a carrier group. Um, and then also putting in there the emotional level of the grunt, of the soldier. You know, guys getting this massive gun battle. 
you know, guy sitting on the side crying afterwards or puking his guts out from what he's seen and done. Because mm-hmm. that's real. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, again, the level of realism as an author you, you always want to strive to bring to any of your books. Mm-hmm. When you write, do you, do you write with um, sort of like a veteran audience in mind specifically? Or do you, um, how do you picture your ideal reader? I don't necessarily picture them as a, I don't write to say only a veteran. So I tend to write, right, so I spent probably about 30 grand on Facebook ads my first two years of writing. And what that led me to discover was who my ideal audience is. So my audience is typically male, 35 and above, who is either uh, moderate to conservative. So that tends to be my audience of what I write for. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of veterans do tend to like my books or people who are military aficionados like, like these types of books. So I, I just try to create a good a good story, a realistic story, and kind of let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously doing very well. You've, you've um, had massive success with this, especially in the, in the past year. Um, you shared, you know, with the, you know, with the group that you went from making you know seventy three dollars your first month to making over forty six thousand dollars a month. Um, I think your best month, which is phenomenal success. I mean, and congratulations on on figuring that out. Um, for those writers watching, what are some of the things? I know you mentioned that there's a couple steps along the way. There was a couple signposts that kind of you know helped you um, do that. What are some of the things that really made a difference for you in, along this journey? Sure. So when I first started writing, I knew nothing about social media. I knew nothing about Facebook ads. I didn't have a clue about EMS ads. I didn't have a clue about how to write good copy. I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time on YouTube trying to learn those kinds of things and figure it out. Then I eventually got introduced to Mark Dawson's uh, SPF group and then to you know learning about Brian Meeks's AMS book. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were those were the two points that really changed everything for us. Mm-hmm. One of the early things I did do, when I, when I started writing, I was also fortunate that I had a job, um, and so I didn't need the book income. So when I started hitting 500 or or $1,000 or $1,500 a month in sales, I put all that back into advertising for the first two years. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to kind of build up a bit of an audience. So when I had a really good book series, which was my our Battlefield Ukraine all the way through Russia or through China series, I had a big audience base already kind of baked in. Mm-hmm. to be ready for that and that's what really yeah. helped a lot that's what helped a lot but it's just you got to learn how to do facebook ads and you got to learn how to do ams and you got to be able to adjust back and forth like mm-hmm. we did only we did only facebook for a while then we cut that out we did only ams for a while and now we're probably going to tinker and look back at some of the facebook stuff yeah it's you got to be adaptive to it it's a constant learning process yeah and then it is and it's a it's a whole marketing side that i think a lot of authors struggle with and um, getting the right help is is essential. Uh, I'm a you know, member of Mark Dawson's course myself, and also you know Brian's been on the show several times. And yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of knowledge out there. It's just a matter of finding the right access points to, to get to it, and then um, actually applying it. Which is you, know, you you mentioned before we uh, went live that you do have a pretty intense schedule. You you do do some rapid release, and you try to write you know many thousands of words a day. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that about your your day to day writing life? Sure. So I write, writing is a mindset. My mindset is if I don't write this and I don't complete this stuff, I'm going to be homeless at the end of each month. And so if you write with that paranoid sense that I'm going to be homeless if I can't get this stuff done, you'd be surprised how aggressive you can figure stuff out. 
Yeah. So my personal goal is to try to crank out 3,000 words a day. That's seven days a week, you know, four weeks a month, you know, continuously. So some days I struggle and I get nothing. Or I get, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand. But then the next day I'll hit five, six, seven, or 10,000 words. My best was 14 in a day. But that was like a solid 14 hours a day. I wrote 14,000 words. Um, do you type it all or do you dictate? Nope, I type. I type. I thought I could dictate, but then it came down to I have to train it to say, you know, open quote, open quote say what I'm saying, comma, close quote, yeah. space. I, that stuff to me just breaks up my train of thought. I, it would destroy my productivity. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the big strategy right there is you got to have that mindset to just sit down and grind it out. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It, I mean, my first drafts are terrible. I just spit out what I need to spit out. I go back and clean it up. Then I'll go back and clean it up a couple times and then I have the product. Yeah. I see uh, Boo Walker and Patrick Adomo were watching a couple of previous guests of the show. So, hi, guys. Thanks for saying hi. I see Janelle was watching. Hi. So, anyone who has uh, questions uh, for James, if you feel like asking questions, feel free to pop up in the comments and I'll make sure to relay them uh, to him. Um, so you mentioned one of the things we, we talked about prior to, to scheduling this interview was that um, you struggle with PTSD. This is one of the, the effects of having you know, a 10-year military career, 10 plus years, and you know, like I said, being in the thick of it. And that can be a big problem when you have to do the mental game of, of getting in this headspace again, writing every day like you do, like if you're going to try to write thousands of words. And um, one of the things I was eager to talk to you about is, is ways that you deal with the, the bad days as well as the good days. Um, can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, so for me, that's why I write seven days a week because you do have bad days. So I know there's going to be a bad day here and there and I'm not going to get anything done. Hmm. Um, and so I kind of I leave the schedule somewhat, somewhat flexible to be able to handle and manage that. Um, you know, so when I was in the military, my job was to work as an interrogator. So my whole life, my whole time in the military was sitting there with an Al-Qaeda prisoner across the table from me or in a chair next to me talking to these dirtbags. Mm. So that's kind of a rough and tough job to handle and deal with because you're dealing with the scum of the earth day in, day out. Um, everything revolves around, you know, capture kill missions of uh, the enemy that we're currently fighting and dealing with. So it's a lot of life and death stuff, a lot of it's like Jack Bauer's 24, only in a slightly slower motion, but it's mm. very so that kind of a job. Um, so that was very challenging because you go from you know this high impact job where I'm talking about Mohammed so and so, and we get the location on him, and a, and a SEAL team or a JSOC team goes after him, and 12 hours later I'm pulling the hood off the guy we were just talking about. Mm. You know, you have that kind of power, and then when you come home, you're supposed to turn that off and not have that anymore, and that's very hard to do. Um, so some of the medication, the VA is really helpful with some of the medications they give you. The challenge is it makes it very difficult to work a nine to five job. So for me, writing has been great because it's an unconventional job. I can work the hours I need to work when I need to work. I may only work four hours in a day because I knocked out my word count. Um, and then I'm done, you know, I kind of chill and relax, but I can actually support my family and, and pay my bills with this kind of a schedule, with this kind of a, this kind of a process. So that would be helpful. Have you connected with other writers who struggle with um, similar trauma? Yeah, there's a few other authors that I've, I've worked with that are also in the same boat that do that. Uh, Jason Casper, he writes a lot of uh, good thrillers out there right now. Um, he, he's 
same situation I am, you know, with the PTSD. This writing stuff is really what's working for him and allows him to work around that. Your good days and bad days, but he's like yeah. me. He's been able to figure out how to crush it and make it work. So yeah. I find that really kind of helpful and cool that a number of other veterans are figuring out that hey, we got really good stories. We've done a lot of cool stuff that nobody's done, and we can figure out how to crush it and survive and, and do well despite mm-hmm. these things. And I think you know having that support seems like such an important part of the community because um, mental health in general. But in, in PTS and those sort of traumas, especially sort of get um, misunderstood frequently, I would say. And a lot of people don't like to think about them or to deal with these issues. Um, I know you're local to the to Florida area. There's a, um, a good friend of mine is involved in a, in a program called Opus Beast, which is um, they kind of they call it, I don't know if you've heard of Opus Beast. They talk about dealing with soul injuries. Soul wounds. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this sort of soul wounds. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of looking at it because I went to one of the the talks and uh, one of the things that really moved me, of course, there's a lot of veterans there, um, you know, from dealing with these types of circumstances. But there was also another woman there who I, who wasn't a veteran, but she, she was a, when she was a small child, she uh, fell out of a hammock while her mother was mowing the lawn and her mother accidentally chopped off her fingers with a lawnmower. And um, four of her fingers, just like that. And the, the the situation, which which was really enlightening to me, was that she wasn't traumatized by that event. Obviously, her mother had to deal with that, and there were some some problems with that. But her, she discovered that years later, that she had spent her whole life, you know, just proving to everyone that she was fine. She was active in sports. She was great at academics. Like she, she almost overachieved, um, for just just to prove to everyone that she was fine. And then, at, in her forties, realized that she was completely wiped out because she wouldn't accept help from anyone. And that, that was a soul injury. And that was a, a trauma that this, this particular trauma had affected her in ways that no one would have thought. You would you would think that the physical actions or the physical trauma would be what, what affects us. But sometimes it's just, you know, how we relate to our families, how we deal with our jobs. It's it's There's so many nuances to it that I think the average person doesn't necessarily factor in, yep. which is, I think, it's so important that people have these discussions uh, to talk about these types of injuries. Yeah, no, it, it's a big problem because, you know, as a society, we've taught people to believe and think a certain way. Mm-hmm. That there are certain social norms that are acceptable, and this is how we believe everyone should act. Mm-hmm. But when you go off to war, those social norms are thrown out the door, and it's now about kill or be killed, and it mm-hmm. gets down dirty, especially yeah. when you have an enemy like Al Qaeda and he's insurgents that we were fighting they're just brutal i mean really brutal stuff they do and mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be a little brutal in return to you know get accomplish your mission mm-hmm. you're doing things for years that you've gotten very good at yeah. that are socially not acceptable at yeah. all when you return yeah and it's like you have this struggle of there's these two worlds and how do i reconcile these two worlds together now and find a way to live in harmony between them Mm-hmm. That's that's a challenge. It's it's a daily struggle. It's not something that's going to go away right away. But you know, fortunately, there's good treatments. There's good stuff out there. Um, you know, I'm looking into a couple of different ones myself to see if maybe they might be better than the pharmaceutical side because pharmaceutical side works. But God, I hate it. I hate the side effects. I hate the, uh, mm-hmm. the memory fog, the, your head in the cloud, have a hard time staying focused on more than one or two tasks at, at hand. I just, I dislike that function like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, have there been any, any particular like exercises that you do specifically as a writer uh, to stay focused uh, when it comes time to, to getting the words done? Oh, so I don't know if I have an exercise per se. I tend to put on my Bose headphones, there's noise canceling headphones. I don't have a huge house, so I don't have a, a private study. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a lazy boy uh, chair I sit in. I put my laptop uh, on me, I put my headphones on, and I rock out to a variety of different types of music really loud because I'm not listening mm -hmm. to it. It's white noise. Okay, but it allows me to throw everything else around me out so I can just focus purely on the screen in front of me and just continue to bang out that story. Hmm. Yeah, well that, that's um, yeah the the noise canceling or noise you know in this case loud noise in your in your case uh, can often do wonders for the brain just freeing your brain up to focus on what's in front of you. Well, I uh, have a two year old, or I have a four year old and a six year old who are who are loud. And yeah. it's nothing. It's not bad on them. They're just being kids. Yeah. But I have to work, so I have to find a way to accommodate that. And the easiest way to do it is you know those noise canceling headphones, and then you turn it up really loud. But again. When it, when it is, if it's softer, you actually pay attention to the lyrics and, the, mm -hmm. and the, what they're saying. But if it's louder, it's actually more a white noise and you just kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good tip. Yeah. Um, and you do mention too that you do outline um, somewhat. Do you want to tell people a little bit about your processes as far as like how sure. you come up with your stories and, and sure. uh, where you go with them? Sure. So when I outline a book, uh, I say, okay, well, what's a series? First, I say, is this a book or a series? I almost always write a series because a series is how you make money. Uh, a standalone book is great, but you're not going to make money on that. Um, you're going to make money by writing a very compelling series because you're going to make the reader have to buy each subsequent book. And that follow through is how you make your money. So you want a series that's going to be anywhere from between four and six pages long, four and six books long, typically six. Hmm. Um, so what you do is you kind of figure out what's the series going to be. Okay, here's what the series is. Well, now what do we want to do? Once we say that, is it going to be five books or six books? If it's six books, okay. How are we going to start it in book one? Because that's essentially the introduction of the series. How do we carry it over to two and then to three and four? And then the last two books is resolving and ending the series. And that's kind of the key. So then you get down to the book one. Okay, well, what are going to be the scenes that set it? And then I'll usually write like anywhere from two to four bullet points that are going to be for that chapter. And then I expand and fill in each of those bullet points, and then I move through each chapter like that. So there might be anywhere from two to four scenes in a chapter. And you use the little scene breaks, and you go to the next one, and the scene break, and go to the next one, and then you go to the next chapter. And then you just continue and progress through it that way. Do you do um, multiple POV character arcs? Or do you have multiple yes. protagonists doing yeah. through these yep. series? I, I, I almost... I don't always have one character who is your main character that we follow throughout an entire series. Mm. What I do is I have a host of, you know, maybe 10 characters that we follow throughout the series who are all essentially supporting the theme of the series. Okay. So, so for instance, my current one I'm doing is on a, my current series is on a second American Civil War. And I've taken a very different tact with that. So what I've done is, there's a Harvard professor by the name of Graham Allison who's very known for a theory called the Sidious's Trap, where you have the rise of one power threatening the, the power of an existing power. So in this case, you have the rise of China threatening the existing power of the United States. Well, 14 out of, or 12 out of 14 times, that has resulted in war. The question is, can we avoid a war? Hmm. So my twist, I said, okay, it's a civil war. 
rather than having civil wars being about political ideologies and race and religion and guns and abortion and everything else, the normal things you would think it would be about. I've taken and said, well, what if the Chinese devised a plan that they said, you know, what, we're going to take the United States down. But the United States is an elephant. You can't eat an elephant in one city. So how do you eat an elephant? You cut it up into smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. The, way you, the way you dismember the United States or defeat the United States is you fracture it. You cause the United States to split apart the seams and to fracture. And how do you do that? You do that through rigging an election and it getting discovered. Not that it happens, but that it gets discovered. And then it throws everything into doubt. Everything's into chaos. The camps fracture and the camps split apart. And then you form an international coalition to come in and, quote, hold it together. Mm. Well, now you've got your state, your scene and your stage set for all these different elements and factions that are going to have to, to deal with this. Yeah. So, this so I have heroes. And, yes, I have, yeah. I have different heroes and in, in, interlayered in some of the different subplots. And you're going to have to follow these guys around as they try to unravel this conspiracy and figure out how do we put the country back together again. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the whole plot for it. Yeah, and that, it's so much to work with. You have so much material that where you can go with it. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah, well, it's, with social media, deep fake technology, and you just start really incorporating a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah. And people look at it, and we've got 30, 36 reviews on it in a, in a month, and 30, of the 36, 35 are five stars, and yeah. everyone looks at it, and they're all like, holy crap, this is really seriously plausible. Because it's it's very easy to do. Yeah, but yeah. I look Your research I, obviously paid off. Well, but, you know, my military training paid off. You know, I was yeah. trained to do, you know, to get inside terrorist heads. I was trained to do, you know, how do you infiltrate organizations and, and destroy them from within. And so it's a lot of it's just using that military training to say, all right, if this was my objective, how would I go about doing it? And then you were yeah, that, I think that would make, make it really interesting. Um, your ability to write antagonists would probably be um, excellent because of your background and your real insight oh, into how you want antagonists something like, work. Read some of my one-star reviews on Battlefield Ukraine. I don't think they even got past the first couple chap- couple chapters there because they immediately accused me of being a Putin propagandist and working for the GRU and all kinds of fun stuff. Because when I write a scene, when I write a, a, an American scene, yeah. it is pro-American. When I write a Russian scene, it is pro-Russian. When okay. I write a Ukrainian scene, it is pro-Ukraine. You know, yeah. so I mean, each side is very, it would be written from that perspective, that yeah. perception. And that's how it has to be. Yeah, because everyone believes so, just yeah, as strongly they, they in their guess. side. Yeah, everyone believes yes. they're right just as strongly as you believe they're wrong. So, yeah. Exactly. They believe they're right. They're going to execute it their way. They view, you know, Europe and NATO as, you know, fat, EU fascists or American fascists. Of course they, they think that. That's what their media tells them. Yeah. So why would you not write a character who thinks that way? Yeah. And if you're, you know, a, a Taliban terrorist or, you know, Al-Qaeda terrorist, you, you were probably raised from the time you were a small child to believe a certain way. Like you were probably, you know, it was probably spoon fed to you continuously. Um, yep. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's, it's. But that's over- a sign of a good writer is when you can convey the, the opposition's point of view so effectively mm-hmm. that it triggers people to respond. Yeah. That is good, and you want you want your um, antagonists to be you know believable and, and, and somewhat sympathetic and be like I get where this guy is coming from because it makes so much better tension uh, yep. for your writing and your story, which which I think yep. yeah it sounds like you have such an excellent background as far as really conveying that to the page and it must be working. Uh, Patrick O'Donnell says thank you for your service, sir. I just picked up the audio version of Battlefield Ukraine. 
Uh, he said, asks, have you tried acupuncture for PTSD? I've heard it works in certain cases. He's a uh, police officer, Dr. Godot. No, I haven't tried that. I suppose that's one thing. There's two I'm looking in right now. One of them is the uh, uh, magnetic therapy, mm -hmm. uh, which I've heard is really good, but it's a very big time commitment. So mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the VA to give me a referral to do it here in my local town. So that way I don't have to drive an hour and a half one way and an hour and a half back home. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's an hour treatment five days a week for six weeks. Oh, wow. So that's it's pretty intensive if you're going to try that. And then there's another one that's, um, was it Stellar? SBG is what it's called, stellium, beglium, block or something like that. Um, I heard about that from uh, Dakota Myers, who he was a Medal of Honor recipient. He was posting on his social media page last week about doing that. and So I've been kind of looking into that as well because I heard that's actually, I've heard that's actually like the gold, the miracle drug, the miracle mm -hmm. one. They do an injection in your, one of your nerves back here, in the back of your, your neck, and it essentially just shuts off that fight or flight uh, overreaction that's always happening. Mm. And say it's like the equivalent of driving in New York City and then suddenly you're on a country road. Wow. Okay. So I was like, man, that would be to me awesome to then try and do something like that. So finding yeah. an officer that does it though, that's the challenge. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure everyone's experiences are somewhat different and you know, trying to find the thing that works for you. Yeah. Uh, it's probably a big challenge. But yeah, that was. Um, Good suggestion that's hopefully that's helpful and i know that you do uh, i know on your website you, you definitely ha you're welcoming to other people who are you know veterans and who are um dealing with these sorts of issues um can people contact you directly if there's something that they're oh, yeah. personally struggling with How, I, how's the best way to do that i mean uh james.rezone at gmail.com we put that in all of our books in the back of all of our book matter um we have links to our facebook pages um, we have our email address there. We have a link for you to join our mailing list. Um, people PM us or you know send us messages on Facebook where they'll send us emails. Um, almost always get responses same day. I mean, I make a point of setting aside 10, 15 minutes before I start any work to look at emails. And I check my emails multiple times a day. So I have I have some fans. I've been emailing these guys for two or three years now. Um, I got other fans that'll ask a question or they'll pose an idea about this, and I'm always replying back to these guys because I think it's important as an author to be interactive with your fans and interactive with your people um, because they have a question why would you not want to answer it why would you not because you may be able to incorporate their idea i mean i have right now um, 90 guys on my beta reader team i broke them all down so my beta team is broke down to civilians british and australian military uh marines air force army navy and so when i have specific scenes i send them off to those guys or i'll rely on those guys to help me craft that scene that's really cool so when the book all gets put together, it's put together by guys, you know, who's largely helped me out with all that. Mm -hmm. It's a chance to have an, imp an impact on a, on a book that's going to hopefully stand the test of time, and they get to say they were a part of it, and they like it. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. I, I think people do feel a sense of ownership if they've participated in the beta reading process, and obviously that they become, uh, you know, fans of you. They're, re they're readers, but they become, you know, legit fans of you as a person, which is nice. And they, yep. um, you know, relate to that relationship, which is, which is fantastic. We talk about that a lot on this show. Um, now, we talk a little bit about your um, collaboration with uh, Miranda Watson. Uh, yep. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So Miranda Watson is my wife, um, and we've been collaborating and writing on this from the beginning. So we have a bit of a process down now, pretty good. So her background, she's a nurse. She also has an MBA and had previously worked for um, 
to your price investments as a business writer. So she has uh, more of that technical background than I do. Um, so what I'll do is I'll write the first book. When I get done with the book, then I hand it off to her. She goes in and she puts in her um, her char- character development stuff, fluffs them up a bit, makes sure everything flows and works nice. And then because we've worked with the same editor for 14 books now, um, she has a a good cheat sheet from our editor, so she goes and does all the copy and replace and you know search and replace, yeah. fixes things, and then it goes to the editor, and then she handles that piece. But by the time she's done with book one, I'm already done with book two, and I'm usually on book three, and so it becomes an assembly line process, so to speak. But that allows us to crank out a book every 30 days. Every 90 days is where we publish them. Is every 90 days, and we do this uh, rapid release cycle where. When we go to release book one, we have book three already done, and we're working on book four. Mm. So book one gets re- goes up for pre-order. We release it. Book two is in editing or nearly done, but it, it's in. It also is in pre-order. And the key to any pre-order strategy is when book one is for sale, you have to have had book two up for pre-order, so you can have the hyperlink for that at the end of book one. Mm. So they finish book one. You go, oh, look, they've got the pre-order for book two up already. They can click and buy it. Yeah. And that saves you from having to retarget and remarket a lot of people. Do you do uh, cover design for the entire series before you start, or how many covers do you have done usually? Uh, it's hard to do the cover design for the whole series sometimes because you don't know how many books is going to be in the series. Yeah. Um, my last two series, I thought they were going to be at a certain book con, and now it looks like like Red Storm series was only supposed to be five books. Uh, we found out we couldn't do it in five. We had to do six. Uh, the Civil War series I'm doing now, we thought we could do it in four, but I'm probably going to realistically have to do it in five. Um, so I, I, I try to work with the same artist, and I try to work with the same theme. So our Red Storm series has a theme to it with the different colors of the books. Um, however, that series is now a little over two, year, two years old, so we're in the process of actually reskinning the whole series. Mm. So on Sunday, it'll be all completely new covers, but they're all going to be in themed just like the previous one. But I think the new covers are going to be, uh, frankly, I think they're going to be better because um, we have, we just found a really great artist that's been uh, helping us out with a lot of stuff. Yeah, cool. Do you want to give them a plug? Uh, yeah, his name is Momir. Um, anyone wants to know, I will email his his contact info over and share with that. I've sent him a number of authors at this point, and he's been yeah. doing a number of their books. But he's incredible, really, really incredible. I and mean, he doesn't charge you now on the lake, which is great. Now, especially if you're put producing as often as you are um, yeah. on, t- on that schedule, you know, cover design definitely adds up over, over time. So yeah. um, it sounds like, a, a, you know, a really great launch schedule. And obviously it's, it's working incredibly well for you. Um, you know, it, it sounds like uh, you've really got a lot of things dialed in and I'm, I'm massively impressed. Uh, it the- just takes time and it's, just, it's a grind. You just got to remember it's a grind. I mean, I've worked my whole life where it's, you know, 60 to 80 hour work weeks are just a normal thing mm. so that's not it's to, to sit and write for 40 hours that's almost you know a break yeah. it's just not a grind but you've got kids on top of that and i know you've got uh, yep. one on the way so congratulations yeah. on, on the growing family uh, i know that's gonna take me so hard <laughs> it's gonna slow me up i'm gonna have that's why i'm trying to get everything done right now i've got essentially six weeks to finish off a, a whole new book because yeah. uh, the kiddo comes i'm my time's gonna be uh kind of evaporated pretty quick yeah new, newborns don't care much about your publishing schedule no, they don't. <laughs> yeah well um james thank you so much this has been a really great interview i really appreciate your your candor and your, your sharing your 
uh, experiences with us. Um, it's, it, I think it's been very informative and I think people will get a lot out of it. So thank you for your time. Well, and, and thank you for your service to our country and, and the sacrifices you've made, you know, personally. Um, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's an honor being able to talk to you and, and um, have you share these experiences with us. So thank you for your time. It's great to be able to share the experiences. And if anyone wants to read about what it was really like to be an interrogator and to live and work in Iraq like that, mm-hmm. our the interview with the terrorists is my biography of what it was like to legitimately sit down with al-Qaeda to interrogate them and just the mundane BS you go through and living every day in a war zone like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds like fascinating reading. So we'll throw some, uh, I'll put some links in the comments as well uh, for your book okay. page so people can check those out. Sure. Um, thank you everyone for, who watched and commented uh, on the show. I appreciate you guys stopping by. Like I said, and if you're watching the replay later and you have some comments, you want to throw them up. Uh, we'll try to get James back to, to answer them if, if uh, he can. Um, thank you everyone for watching. This is actually going to be the last uh, episode of this show for the summer. I'm going to be taking the next uh, couple months off. I'm taking July and August off because I'm way behind on the book myself. Uh, my book schedule's. Uh, little bit delayed so i gotta hurry up and get that done but i will be back in september um i know uh, i know you won't be at, at nink james but hopefully we'll be able to catch up uh before that because i know we... well, i'll probably come over just to have some drinks and socialize with some of you guys that's for yeah sure. i'm gonna try to get you to authors and airplanes so we're gonna get get our oh uh, i will be there for, up for a plane ride so that sounds uh, hopefully we'll rally back up uh in september so uh, like i said thank you everyone for watching thank you james for, for being here it's been a pleasure and uh, i'll talk to you all again soon all right thanks